We are so glad that you're here with us this morning. Happy that you're joining us online. I got on there during worship just to wish you a good morning, and I just want to reiterate that. Uh, we are blessed to have you all here, whether you are online or in person, and we appreciate you taking time out of your busy lives to uh, bless us with your presence. Announcements today gave me a few things I feel like I need to explain. Uh, we are going to provide lots of food at the picnic. We will have more than plenty, so we definitely want you uh, to bring people. Uh, I am going to grill. Like Jake said, it's usually good. What happened last year is I didn't realize that my grill was in not great shape, and so on the ride over, the bottom that was apparently rusted fell out of my grill. And when I was grilling burgers and hot dogs last year, I looked down and the propane tank was on fire. Not saying that that's a good thing, but it's not a good thing. So, but I, I, that's not even going to be a worry. I've got a pellet grill. Uh, it'll all be better. There will be no fire. Uh, well, at least no propane tank on fire. There will probably still be plenty of fire. I'll singe my arm hairs or something different than that. Uh, also, if you weren't here for the opener, you heard about Jack trying to buy some Hey Dudes and ending up with Bruno Marx instead. I just wanted you to know that uh, Bruno Mark started out of our own frustration. This is the company's words. Why does high quality have to cost so much? So you found high quality that doesn't cost so much, so who's the joke really on, you know? Look at those bad boys. You thought you were getting Hey Dudes, Amazon tricked you into high quality, so you're welcome. All right, with all that being said, giving you guys some time to get seated and get your snacks, we are continuing our story of Joseph, and I am excited about what today brings. Today is really the first part of, not a two-part story, because it's a single story, but we're going to break it in half because it's just so large, and we're going to be in Genesis 42, and we're going to be in part of Genesis 43 today. Now, what happens in Genesis 42 is the beginning of God's fulfillment to a promise that he actually made to Abraham, that he would give him a vast number of descendants and that those descendants would come out of a land of Egypt. And it's the beginning of that process when, when Joseph is kind of reintroduced to his brothers, and we'll talk about that. The promise had to be fulfilled through Joseph and his brothers, but first it would take them passing a sort of test. In order for the, the blessing to come about through them, they had to handle uh, this next situation, this next battle, as I'm going to call it multiple times today. I'm just giving you a heads up. They were going to have to handle this battle well in order for the, them to receive the blessing. Would they be faithful in difficult circumstances or would they kind of buckle out of fear and pressure and just the overall anxiety from the situation that they were dealing with. Now, I personally, me, Paul Huff, your pastor, am a firm believer that there is a blessing on the backside of every battle. There is a blessing to come on the backside of every battle. And I'm using that as a generic term because our battles are vastly different. Uh, some of them seem far more serious uh, than others. Uh, but a, a battle can take on many forms. It can take on many shapes. It may be dealing with a job situation. It may be dealing with a friendship. It could be dealing with a health situation. And so I am just a firm believer that on the backside of every battle that we go through here on earth, we need to be prepared for a blessing. And I think that you can back it up biblically as well. If we look at Abraham and Sarah, they go through this really long battle of not being able to have children and even being promised by God that that was going to happen and it wasn't happening for them. And they go through this battle where they make some wrong turns and they, they, they do some wrong things, but then they receive Isaac. They get that blessing. Ruth battles and, and 
She loses everything. She loses her, you know, her husband and her provider and her pretty much her whole family. Uh, her her father-in-law, her brother-in-law, they all pass, they all die. She decides that she's going to stay with her mother-in-law, even though it's not a, a really good decision to make in that day and age. But through that battle, she receives the blessing of Boaz in her life. We look at Mordecai and Esther, they battle. Uh, they're, they're having to fight during a time where Jews are being heavily persecuted. And through their battle and through their persistence and their faith, Jews from, go from being oppressed to being conquerors. If we look at Job, everybody sees the story of Job, and it's one of those that if you read in the Bible like three or four times, you're still a little bit confused by the end of it, right? But Job, basically, he goes from this situation where he's filthy rich in every way. Great family, has all the land, has all the animals, has a full bank account. Like any way that you can think of of being blessed, Job is blessed. He is filthy rich. And he goes from that situation to losing absolutely everything, only to on the backside of that battle being more rich than he ever was before. We go to Daniel. Daniel was in a literal den of lions, and he walked out unscathed. Jesus, our Savior, the author of our salvation, is crushed on a cross, destroying the hope of his disciples because they didn't quite understand what his purpose was. But on the backside of that battle, we have resurrection and salvation available for all. I can back it up through experience as well. Now, this doesn't happen to me too often anymore because I'm fairly removed from that uh, stage in my life where I was not living, shall we say, in a godlike way. But when I, after I graduated high school, there would be times I'd go back for a football game or I'd run into somebody at a restaurant or the grocery store and then always come with the question, what are you up to now? And I'd tell them, well, I'm a pastor. And I would always get this one. The wide-eyed almost pass out where they do this thing. They're like, like you, you're a pastor. And yeah, me, I'm a pastor. And I got to be honest with you. I used to get really offended by it. But then I realized uh, that if I was in their shoes, I would feel the exact same way. And what it was really doing was speaking to the power and the provision of a God who did something that to them was miraculous and otherworldly. It speaks to the blessing that comes after each and every battle. And so, like I said, today we're going to be in two chapters in Genesis 42 and 43. Last time, we made it all the way up to Joseph's time in prison. Quick synopsis. He's with his brothers. It doesn't go well. He's living in his family. He's blessed beyond all. They sell him into slavery. He ends up in a man's house named Potiphar. He gets risen up in Potiphar's house to like second in command. Uh, but be, and that's because of God. Because of some issues that he had with Potiphar's wife, mainly being accused of uh, rape, there's no other way to say it, Um, he is thrown into prison. We see him in prison. We talk about his integrity of how he's willing to say the truth and tell the truth to these two men from Pharaoh's household, regardless of what it may cost him, and how that gets him out of prison. And so today we see him on the backside of that imprisonment, and he is pulled out of prison to interpret a dream for Pharaoh. He tells Pharaoh, this is what your dream means. There's going to be seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. And as we get to Joseph in our story today, he is in the midst of that back seven years of famine. I'm having to synopsize all this because if I read it, it would literally take all my time just reading the scripture, right? So follow along with me best you can. And so what happens, he ends up only being second to Pharaoh in the land of Egypt. Big step up. 
Big step up from the beginning. He's going through this battle. He's continuously seeing himself placed above others in a way that can only be described as miraculous, okay, as a miracle of God. And so we come again to Joseph in the midst of this famine, and he's about to be reintroduced to his brothers and seen. Ready? So it's Genesis 42, 1 through 2. And I read this passage because, one, there's a lesson in there, and two, because I see my father in it. And, Dad, I saw you were watching, so no, this is you. 42, 1 through 2, it says, When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you just keep looking at each other? I want to do it in my dad's accent that I always do. Why are you guys just looking at each other? What's wrong with you? He continued, I've heard there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. And so I, I see my dad in this because my dad does this thing. Anytime I do something, I do it a lot on purpose, believe it or not. Uh, I'll say a lot of just like really dumb things just to get his reaction. And he always does this thing where he like looks off in the distance, whether someone's there or not, and does this, right? Like, he's like asking the world what's wrong with his son. How are you, my son? What is wrong with you? Why do you just keep looking around? Go get some grain, right? But here are, here are Joseph's brothers, and they're in the midst of this famine, and they're just staring at each other. And here comes the dad, and he's like, what are you guys doing? There is some grain in Egypt. Go get it. What's the lesson? Don't let your battle leave you brainless. Don't let your battle leave you brainless. You see, there are times in life where life will punch you right in the gut. And everyone's first reaction, it's a natural reaction, is kind of to grieve whatever it was that was just lost. You get that punch in the gut and you kind of just like, what do I do now? You do this inventory. I don't know if you've ever been punched in the stomach, and I don't mean just like hit in the stomach a little bit. I mean like really punched in the stomach. Scott Wingo said that he will hit any of you in the stomach if you want to be hit after service to know what this is like. But I don't know. I'm just kidding, Scott. Calm down. I don't know if you've ever really been punched in the stomach, but there is this time where you get nailed in the stomach, whether it's by a fist or in my case in football, a helmet of a 300-pound man-child right? You get punched in the stomach and you start to do this inventory. The first question you ask yourself is like, am I dead? Am I dead? I feel like I'm dying. Can't really breathe. Okay. And the second question is, am I going to be able to stay standing? And that's usually no. So you go to all fours, right? And then you're like, am I going to throw up on everybody right now? And that question is always up in the air. It's maybe. For kids, it's different. Some kids, it's yes. Some kids, it's no. If you ever want to know what it's like to really get hit in the stomach, go to YouTube. I should have played it, but I'm not going to. And watch a video of the grape stomping lady who falls out of the, just <laughs> type in grape stomping fail, and you'll know exactly what it's like to get punched in the stomach. But there are times in life where you will get punched right in the gut, and it just kind of leaves you petrified. Now, I remember, and this is years back, when I was first diagnosed with depression, uh, and I've been open about this, but when I was first diagnosed with depression, I was completely lost. Because I kind of was, I, I wouldn't say slowly, but it wasn't really quick either. I was like sliding into this depression, and it was something I'd never experienced before, and it kind of just left me motionless. I had no idea where to turn next, where to look next, what to do next. I was just kind of turned into a statue, wandering aimlessly in the desert that I was in. I didn't know what to do. The battle was bigger than me. It was bigger than I was, but I also let it be bigger than me. 
Now, this isn't one of those messages where it's like you're depressed, just get over it. I'm not saying that, okay? But I'm saying in times where we are in the midst of a battle, we can't let that battle leave us brainless. We can't let that battle petrify us. We can't let that battle leave us in a state where we just stop moving forward. See, the number one step to overcoming any battle, the number one step for me to overcoming depression was to just take that next step, that next literal step. Okay, I'm going to just move in a direction. I'm not exactly sure if this is the right direction, but I've got to move. I can't just stay here in this. And so, you know, I go to a doctor and I get counseling and I get on some medication and I'm talking to a Bible teacher and I'm just battling through all these things my head is telling me that are not godly and not real. I'm fighting with things that I know about God that are real. So when the devil or the depression or however you want to look at it is telling me you are not loved. God does not love you. He wants to punish you. There's scripture that says, no, that's not the case. God actually loves you very much, right? He sent his son to die for you on a cross. And so with everything that was not godly being in my head and me listening to over and over on repeat, I would battle back with something that I knew to be truth about God. And I was in this moment where I couldn't really trust myself, so I had to rely on other people. And frankly, Joseph's brothers in this time are kind of in that headspace. I can imagine, because I don't think there's a lot going on in this day and age, right? It's like, get up when the sun comes up, go do your job, come back when the sun goes down, find a way to eat along the way, sleep, and repeat. And their entire day has been taken away from them. They're in the midst of a famine. They were workers of the field. If you remember the beginning of Joseph's story, they were sheep herders and they, they, they just farmers basically. But now they have nothing to farm. And so they're just kind of looking at each other. And it took their dad to snap them out of it and say, hey, why are you being brainless right now? Why are you just looking at each other? Take action, move forward. And so they're lost on, on where to go next. And, and I think we can probably all relate to that situation where you find ourselves somewhere where we just don't know what to do, but we need to keep moving. We need to keep surviving. We're told that with Jacob's advice to go to Egypt, that they go, they go. And so they, they take this trek. The youngest brother, Benjamin, stays at home with dad and it has been 22 years. So I want to be very clear you know, they come, they see their brother. He recognizes them. They don't recognize him, okay? And there's a good reason. It's been 22 years. And not just that, he's up very high in Pharaoh's household. So I'm assuming he's dressed pretty ornately, right? Like, I, I watched Peabody and Sherman last night with Winifred as she's coughing in my face and doing other things as well. And that, you know, they're dressed up. Like, they come to this scene with King Tut, and he's got the, the gold thing off his chin. And, the, like, so Joseph doesn't look like raggedy old Joseph that we just sold off into slavery uh, and tore his coat off of him. And it's not like he like got a replica made of the technicolored coat and Donny Osmond revealed himself to his brothers. Okay. So by most accounts, it had been 22 years since the last time they saw him. And we're about to see two tests occur with the same blessing at stake. The first test is how will his brothers react to the situation that they're about to be put under? Because if you read through this passage, Joseph tests them a little bit. Okay, he's going to test them a little bit. He wants to see, are these the same brothers that sold me into slavery? Have they changed? Have they learned from their past mistakes? Will they reveal themselves to be the same people that they were or not? See, in the, 
what we learn from this, the importance here is that the focus for every battle must become, what can I learn from this time? What can I learn from this time? When we find ourselves in the midst of a struggle, in the midst of a battle, in a situation where we don't find joy in, we don't want to be in, and we are just trying to look to the other side, when is this going to end? We need to take inventory, and it takes some patience, and it takes faith in God. We need to take some inventory and say, what can I learn from this time that I'm in right now? That's got to be the focus of every battle. Otherwise, we're going through battle in vain. We are going through battle in vain. And the second test is how will Joseph treat his brothers? How's Joseph going to treat his brothers? So how do his brothers react? How have they changed? How are they different? How is Joseph going to treat his brothers? Because they sold him into slavery. They had nothing but bad intentions. Is he going to do the same? Here's the thing about Joseph. We already talked about how he is a man of integrity. But if we only have integrity when people haven't caused us an offense, then what we end up having is favoritism. And we talked about in the first week how dangerous favoritism is, right? How dangerous favoritism can be. We cannot allow other people's actions to affect how we react and how we live our lives and the people that we want to be. If we look at Luke 6.31, it's a verse that we have had repeated to us a million times, probably as children, maybe even as adults. And it says, do unto others as you would have them do to you. But the problem is that too often we read that verse and in our mind we change it, whether we know we're doing it or it's subconscious. And we read it as do to others what they have done to you. Right? Do to others what they have done to you. Well, they're going to get it now. Right? My wife always complains because I'm not a person. And this is probably, frankly, I'm going to blame my brother. I shouldn't because here I am blaming somebody else after I say don't do that. and Don't let somebody else's action change yours. But I'm blaming him anyways. Right? Because when I was little, he was a holy terror in some fun ways. But I was not one to react on par with his action. Right? So if like you get me here... Oh, I'm coming over the top, right? Like you tied my shoestrings together, I'm going to burn all your shoes in a metal barrel, right? Like, and that's just how I've always been. It's not a good thing, but Jericho always complains about it because I can't like just get somebody back equally. It, my mind does not allow it. It doesn't work that way. It's a problem. Yeah, we'll just leave it there. It's a problem, right? But too many of us read this verse as do to others what they've done to you. And in my mind, I see it as do to them worse, what they even dared think about doing to you, you morons, right? Like that's how I see it, but I'm sure that's not what it says at all. If we see someone in the midst of battle, here's where we get serious. If we see someone in the midst of a battle and our first reaction is to let their past actions affect how we treat them in that moment, then we have missed the point. We have missed Christ. We are not being Christian. We are not a reflection of our Savior. We become a reflection of our sin. And that's the person that we don't want other people to see. I'm not talking about being fake. I'm not talking about being phony. I'm talking about with God, working to where you can get to a place that sees people's intrinsic God-given value outside of the realm of how you've been treated by them. Let that one stew for a little bit. Definitely not easy. Definitely not easy. 
And so the brothers, they start interacting with Joseph in verse 14. And the first thing that Joseph does, he accuses them of being spies. He knows who they are. Remember, they don't know who he is. He says, you guys are spies in this land. You're just coming to spy on us. And they swear they're not. We are not. We swear an oath. We are not spies. Well, he then comes up with a test. All right, I'm going to hold one of your brothers. First, he's going to imprison all of them. But then he decides, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to hold one of your brothers. And you're going to take your grain that you want. And you're going to go back to the land that you came from. And you're going to bring back your brother your youngest brother, Benjamin, because in the midst of this, they talk about how, oh, we're not spies. We're just poor farmers from a distant land. And our youngest brother, Benjamin, is there with our father and they're starving and we just want to be able to provide for them. And we are only here for food, we promise. And so Joseph says, well, I'm going to give you a chance to prove that. You're going to go home. I'm going to hold this brother as kind of like a tit for tat. If you don't bring your brother back, this one gets axed. We're going to murder him, right? But bring back Benjamin to attest to your story, to show that you're being truthful, and all will be well. So we find in verse 42, 21 through 23, that it says, They said to one another, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. They're talking about Joseph. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. And that's why this distress has come on us. And then Reuben replied, Reuben, I'm assuming the least favorite brother. Because Reuben says, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we have to account for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. I can't explain why he needed an interpreter, but he was using an interpreter apart for 20 years. Maybe he speaks a different language now. He wasn't 100% sure. But regardless, this is the situation. Here's the thing. The midst of a battle is no time for an I told you so. The midst of a battle is no time for an I told you so. I cannot think of a worse thing to tell somebody, especially in the time that they are struggling. Maybe on the backside of the battle, you approach that conversation in a loving manner, not as like, okay, everything's good now, so I just want to say, remember back a couple months ago when things sucked? I told you so. Right? That's not it. But maybe we can talk about, hey, here's our actions, and here's how our actions lead to consequences, and we're on the backside of it now, things are good, but hey, let's not repeat those in the future. That's one way to approach it. But the midst of a battle is not the time for an I told you so. That was Job's biggest problem with his friends. Right? Their approach was, I told you so. You see, Reuben, so not helpful here. So not helpful here. And they have felt pretty good for him. Didn't I tell you this was going to happen? Reuben. Right? Like, that's how I imagine it went down. Maybe not. It may feel good. And hey, you may have indeed told them so. But in times of despair... Having someone say, I told you that was going to happen. Just, it's soul shattering. It's soul shattering. Not only does it feel bad in every sense of the word bad. Not only does it feel bad, it's not productive. It certainly doesn't help push people towards a solution. It's not encouraging. And as I already said, I cannot think 
of a worse thing to say. So Reuben gets his punch in. Told you so, Reuben. And they head off back home. So the brothers make their way home. And on their journey, at some point, they open up their sack of grain. And on top of the grain is their bags of silver. What they brought to pay for their grain. And they're automatically petrified. Things have already not gone well with this ruler in Egypt who has determined that they are spies. Things have already not gone well, but here is their silver that they were supposed to pay for the grain. So they're automatically thinking, he's going to think that we stole. He's going to think that we're thieves. We are definitely going to die. And so they're super worried. They even ask God, what has God done to us? And they get home and they share all of this with their father. They tell him the whole story. He accuses us of being spies. We, we slipped in there that Benjamin was home with you. Uh, we got halfway here and we opened our, our, our sacks of grain and there's our silver. He's going to think that, that, that we stole. He's going to punish us. He, he's going to kill our brother that he held captive. He told us to bring Benjamin back. We've got to do it, but we're scared. And Jacob says, what in the world have you done to me? He's lost Joseph, Simeon's in prison, and his youngest Benjamin is now under threat. As a father, he just cannot take any more. And he refuses to let the brothers return to Egypt with Benjamin. Not going to happen. I'm not losing another son because of your guys' ineptitude. Because you can't just manage life. I'm not going to have another son taken from me. So we look at Genesis 43, 3 through 10. And it says, But Judah said to him, The man warned us solemnly that you will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. You see what happens here right before this is they run out of grain. Famine's still going on. They don't have any more food left. Imagining this is a period of time, a number of years. So they're out of grain finally. And, and Jacob says, you've got to go back. You've got to get more grain. So what you got to do? Why are you looking at each other again? Go get the job done. And so Judah, one of his sons, says, he said that we can't come back unless Benjamin's with us. And you won't let that happen. But he goes on in verse 4. If you will send our brother along with us, then we will go down and buy food for you. But if you will not send him, we will not go down because this man said to us, you will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. And so Israel, this Jacob, Israel asked, why did you bring this trouble on me by telling the man that you had another brother? And they replied, the man questioned us closely about ourselves and our family. Is your father still living? He asked, do you have another brother? We simply answered his questions. How are we to know that he would say, bring your brother down here? Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy along with me and we will go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you, then set and set him here before you. I will bear the blame before you all my life. As it is, if we had not delayed, we could have gone and returned twice. Not a short journey. See, so often we find ourselves in the midst of a battle, in the midst of struggle, and all we can see is our current circumstances. All we can feel is the walls closing in. 
And, and what we're dealing with in that instance becomes our everything. And Jacob is dealing with that now. He has no idea about the blessing that could be coming his way. A man who has had a, an extremely close relationship with God his entire life is not looking for how God's hand may be in this situation. He is only focused on his circumstances and how he is currently feeling. Not what he can learn from it. Not how this can make him better. Not what God might even be doing. We find ourselves in these types of situations. All we can see is the pain. It's all we can feel. Sometimes it's almost like we can just taste it. Everything is just bitter and we feel broken and we feel stuck. And we're just suffering. Too often, it petrifies us. It leaves us brainless. It leaves us brainless. As Christians, when we face these battles, we really have a decision to make. How are we going to live our life? You see, because we can live life controlled by anxiety. And I'm a person who struggles with anxiety as well. I know lots of you out there are as well. We can, we can live life controlled by anxiety in which we're always balancing every action we could possibly make with all the possible things that could go wrong. I'm not asking for a show of hands, but anybody ever do this? We can balance every action with all the possible things that could go wrong from it. And if I do this, what if this happens and this happens and this happens and this happens and this happens? You know? Sometimes Jer struggles with anxiety and she'll be like, you know, today was bike day and we forgot to take Winifred's bike and what if she's the only kid without a bike and then she's miserable and she remembers this and 40 years from now we have to go into a nursing home and she decides that instead of a nursing home, she'll just off us instead, and now we're dead. I'm like, how do we go from there to there, right? Not exactly how it went down. I'm hoping she's not watching, believe it or not. That's the only time I'm going to say that. And no one needs to tell her, okay? No text, no anything. But we take these leaps in thought, and we live our life controlled by anxiety petrified by the fear and the possible consequences but as followers of the most high if we are people that truly have faith in a god that we say is all-powerful and all-knowing and capable of doing all things hence the all-powerful if we truly have faith in that type of god shouldn't we balance our actions with the possible blessing instead of the possible consequence I'm not going to live a life petrified in fear and anxiety. I'm not going to let the battle lead me brainless because I have faith that my God is going to carry me through. Regardless of the outcome, this is going to make me better. This is going to make the people around me better. This is going to perfect me and perfect my faith. Don't elongate your battle because of all the possible wrong outcomes like Jacob did. See, if you would have let us go when we first said we needed to go, we could have been there and back twice. 
we could have been there and back twice. Rather than focusing on those outcomes, let's focus on finding the purpose and the promise that exists in our pain in a particular point in time. Not what is God doing to me, but what is God doing? It's a big difference in those two questions. Why is this happening to me? To why is this happening to me? Inflection. It's a powerful tool. But it makes all the difference. Same words. Same question. If you texted it to somebody, they wouldn't know what you were asking. You just asked me that. But it's two totally different things. It's all about our outlook. And it comes down to our faith in God. So here's Jacob. Here's the brothers. And they're wanting to know, why is this happening to me? But next week, we're going to find out exactly why. We're going to finish this story. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now. I thank you for this day. Your word, it changes lives. It certainly changes mine. God, I appreciate the blessing that the story of Joseph has been in my own life. And and I just pray that it can be that type of blessing for others as they've come and and participated in this study and, and looked at the sermon series, God, how Joseph can affect the way that we as Christians live our lives. God, we all battle. We will battle. Whether we have been in past battles, we are currently in a battle or a battle is on the horizon. It's part of life. Not something we can hide from. Not something we can run away from. It is part of life. But how we fight our battles, how we approach those battles is of utmost importance. And we can look at these fights and and, and allow them to overwhelm us. And at times, God, the appropriate feeling, the appropriate reaction is to feel overwhelmed. But, but, We serve a God who is in control. And whether we call ourselves Christians or not, I firmly believe that that God is still in control of our lives. And He is seeking to perfect us, to make us better, to make us stronger, to help us be more empathetic, to help us be more faithful, to understand that We just have to keep moving and we just have to keep pushing. We have to seek out the purpose that God has for us throughout the way that our life occurs. God, in these moments, help us to keep pushing. Help us to have faith and to rely on you and and to know, God, that you're in control. But on the other side of that, when we are standing alongside of our brothers and sisters who are in the midst of a battle. Help us to be a support, a godly, Christ-like support. Not looking for those instances where we can say, I told you so, but looking for those chances to say, I love you instead. And to lift people up in times where they feel hopeless and in times where they don't see how they're going to press forward. So often we have to make decisions 
without ever knowing what the outcome will be. And that can be scary. But not when we trust that our God is working all things for our good. May we first and foremost be people of faith. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to be standing down here up front. If you need to come pray with me, please do so. Please do so. Allie, I'm going to ask you to stand over there. She'll be over there under that television in the darkness. Uh, if you're uncomfortable coming up in front of everybody to, to pray, if you want to go off to the side there. Jake, would you mind praying for people? Uh, look, God's using you to pray. I know it's not always your favorite thing, but Jake's back here on the right side, and he would love to pray for you. Um, and so if you have something that you need to lift up, nothing's too big, nothing's too small, please, in this time, Go to God. If you need to talk about what it is to be a Christian, what it is to have that relationship with Him, that's what I'm here for. Whether you want to have that conversation right now here today in this setting or you want to set up a time to go get coffee or whatever, let's do it. But that's a conversation that you need to have. That is an absolute conversation that you need to have. Stand with us now. Let's worship God if for no other reason than that He deserves it.